Good morning, everyone. With me this morning is City Manager Rory Watt. Good morning. Morning, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Since we're at the end of the year here, I thought it'd be good to have you on so we can talk about the highlights of this year and what may be ahead for the city next year. Yeah, you bet. So it was good to look backwards and look forwards. Regarding the recent retreat, I understand that top three topics were identified, housing, tourism, and the budget. Let's begin with housing. What are some of the known challenges for Juno? would you say? Uh, well, we have, we have a shortage of housing products, if you will, uh, uh, across the, the spectrum. So every, every type of housing is in short supply. Uh, and the, the assembly would really like to figure out how to move the needle and get more uh, development projects going, um, whether that's single family homes or multifamily units or really anything I think would help. What are the tools at the city's disposal? So the the city, uh, you know, we talk about it as land, money, and regulations. Those are the three things that we can do. Um, the city has some land, not a lot of great land. One of the things that we recently did is, is we made some updates to our, our uh, uh, online mapping, our GIS, and you can click on it and you can sort of see uh, undeveloped and underdeveloped land. And, you know, one of the obvious things that jumps out at you is most of the undeveloped and underdeveloped land is in the private sector. So it's like, yeah, the city has land, but really we want to figure out how to get other people that are, you know, have private land to develop it. So that's the land piece. Um, you know, money, we've done things like uh, tax abatement, um, where if you build a multi uh, multifamily uh, building, uh, you could not have to pay 80% of your property taxes for 12 years. We're so trying to give inducements. Uh, we have things like the Affordable Housing Fund where we give out grants. So we just announced uh, $2 million worth of awards. Some of that is grants, some of that is loan. Uh, so we're trying to figure out how to uh, incentivize development uh, with cash. Um, and then on the regulation side, there's always this push-pull between make it easier for developers or protect neighborhood values, right? There's this, you know, it's easy to say, I want lots of development, uh, but then, you know, you often get, hey, wait, you know, I live in this type of neighborhood and maybe dense development in my neighborhood isn't a good thing. So there's always tension on that. So those are, those are the three big tools. I know you had just mentioned the 2 million in funding from the Juno Affordable Housing Fund. That there was about five million put into that recently, right? And so, do you feel like using that fund might be able to help move the needle? I think so. Um, so, so yeah. In terms of city finances, we have the affordable housing fund itself, um, and, and the assembly did put five million dollars in that fund, and that's meant to be allocated over several years. And this year, in the budget cycle, they decided to make two million. Uh, available, or that was the number that we put out there to the public. There's no guarantee that we would award $2 million in funding, uh, but, but in fact, uh, the staff and the people in the private sector that helped score the proposals um, thought that there were $2 million worth of good projects and recommended that to the Assembly, and the Assembly agreed the other night. Uh, and of those tools, you had mentioned land, and I know that there's some land that the city might be able to dispose of in the next year or two. Are there, what are some of those candidates? So we've got, we've got several active disposals that are underway. So there's a, a 10 acre parcel on Peterson Hill 
that a developer called uh, uh, Moline Development is looking at uh, developing. They're pursuing uh, tax credits uh, from the federal government. It's a federal program that funnels through the states, and we haven't historically had tax credit programs here, but 10 acres on Peterson Hill uh, to Moline Development, also on Peterson Hill. Uh, we have uh, 10 acres that uh, the Regional Housing Authority, uh, Clingett Heider Regional Housing Authority, uh, has an option to acquire, uh, and they're pursuing financing, and I think that could lead to something. Um, we've got interest. Uh, we have a couple uh, interesting opportunities downtown. Uh, we have a parking lot at 2nd and Franklin Streets. Um, that's long been considered a potentially good location for an apartment building. So I think we're going to be talking about that. <clears throat> and the state uh, sometime shortly in the new year is going to convey Telephone Hill uh, to the CBJ. And, and that would be several acres of uh, very um, favorably zoned property that we uh, could make available for multifamily housing. So uh, a lot of opportunities out there, but a lot of complexities. Moving on to the budget just give us a status of the city's finances. Where are we projected to be at at year's end? So uh, at year's end, uh, we are projected to have a really uh, substantial fund balance, which is our savings account. Um, it's, it's by and large driven uh, mostly by the tail end of the federal COVID funding. Uh, but it's looking like we're we're projecting just a little bit over 30 million in our general fund fund balance, which is a substantial amount of money. Um, and it's, it's really available for uh, one-time issues. Um, our fund balance is also driven a bit by uh, sales tax coming in a lot stronger than we projected. Uh, our first quarter, I think, was more than $2 million uh, collected over what we thought. Um, and if you think about it, that uh, a lot of that is driven by um, inflation um, and probably the visitor economy and pent-up spending. Um, with regard to inflation, you know, you've, everybody is seeing higher prices at the fuel pump or in their heating oil bills or at the or at the store. Um, people are buying the same commodities they need to get by, but they're paying more sales tax. So. It's good that sales tax is up, but maybe it's not entirely good because it means our citizens might just be paying more money for the same products. Uh, so it's a, it's a tricky, uh, tricky, complicated message. Um, it's good that we have the fund balance, but inflation is definitely hurting the community and, and the municipal budget. So everything we do is gonna cost more. So tricky, tricky uh, uh, situation to navigate through. It must have been a relief, though, that the actuals came out higher than forecast. You know, it's always better to collect more money than you predict than less money. And, and I, I saw that was the case for remote sales tax, too. Boy, I tell you, remote sales tax just keeps making progress. And that's a really good thing. So the, uh, for a reminder to the listeners, you know, uh, Juno and other communities formed the Alaska Remote uh, Sales Tax Commission, which is, you know, continually signing up vendors and so we're collecting sales on all your internet purchases chamber of commerce would appreciate you shopping locally uh so i've got to put a little plug in there uh, for our local merchants because it is hard uh to run a bricks and mortar uh, business uh, but at least you know with the remote sales tax we can get people on a little more of an even playing field 
it's still so new. What possibilities might there be with remote sales tax? Well, I think we've, uh, you know, the sales tax commission has has signed up most of the big vendors, um, and uh, you know, I think it's going to, you know, continue to tick up uh, and grow. Um, but it, you know, in order to predict where it's headed, you sort of have to predict where uh, people's spending habits go. Uh, and the more they shop online, the less they're going to have the opportunity to go into a local shop. Um, and what that looks like in the future, I don't really know. Would you say the city's has recovered from the pandemic? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think... You know, I, I guess fina- from a finance perspective. From a finance I, I, perspective. I, I, my apologies, Rory. <laughs> That's complicated. That, that's a very... I wasn't sure I was going to answer uh, that in one sentence. <laughs> budgetarily, has the city recovered from the pandemic? Yeah. Let's try yeah, that again. Bu- budgetarily, yes. Yeah. Budgetarily, all of the... Uh, COVID-related spending and extra federal revenue. That's all through the books. And we're back to uh, playing the hand that we're dealt right in front of us today. Mm. Just without the one-time funding going forward. That's right. That's right. The the tail end of it, like I said earlier, we've got that uh, large fund balance that's available for one-time uses. But yeah, we don't expect to see that kind of activity again. Now, Something I'm I'm feeling maybe tangentially related, but I know it's something the city's been facing this past year. Uh, what's your confidence that the city can weather this hiring crunch? Well, we have a lot of issues um, trying to hire staff. Uh, so, you know, we did uh, three new contracts with our uh, employees uh, unions this summer. Three three-year contracts. So. Um, our general government employees, our uh, public safety employees, which is uh, uh, police department employees, and our uh, firefighters union. Uh, and uh, across the board, we raised wages in this year five and a half percent. And there were then there were additional increments um, and retention bonuses in some portions of the the city. Um, and we're and we're losing ground um, still. So while we might be um, at the market for wages, uh, hiring uh, qualified employees is really problematic in um, a number of portions of CBJ, and we continue to struggle with that. Um, And we're gonna be talking to the assembly in early January at the Finance Committee um, about what we can do about recruitment and retention. Um, The bottom line is um, figuring out how to financially incentivize um, new employees to come on board and existing employees to stay on board. And we had recently received a letter from uh, the Juneau Police Department asking that more resources be put towards that department in order to be competitive. Uh, it, what was What's your reaction? So, so to be clear, the letter is from uh, police ju- department employees in their capacity as uh, public safety uh, union members, right? The, the, so it wasn't from the chief. I'm sorry. Yeah. So uh, no, I, no, I think they're pointing out a real and obvious problem, um, and, and they're pointing out how it is specifically affecting the police department, uh, and and they're right. Um, we are not fully staffed. 
with sworn officers. Um, it has always been uh, hard uh, to to hire uh, sworn officers or to attract and train and, and bring people on. Uh, and in my entire time that I can recall, we've never been at full staffing. Um, and when you're not at full staffing, um, people have to work more overtime uh, and people get burned out. And that's a, that's a real situation. And right now, um, we're at lower staffing than we have ever been. So maybe historically, we've you know been five, seven, nine, 10, 11 positions light. I think uh, what I saw the other day was we're 14 positions light. Um, and that puts tremendous pressure on our officers uh, and by extension, their families. So that, that is part uh, of our staffing problem, absolutely. Well, we're, we're gonna go ahead and take up tourism, uh, but after the break, stay tuned. And we're back with city manager Rory Watt. We're talking about some of the topics that were brought up in the recent assembly retreat, the third of which being tourism. Rory, take us through some of the long range policy objectives with tourism management that the assembly is looking at. Yeah, so so uh, we, we did our visitor industry task force several years ago and then COVID hit and then we had, you know, we were joking at that time is, uh, we were calling it the do we have a visitor industry task force unfortunately you know and so things slowed down and there was the tension on uh, how much tourism is good for the community or is, is you know when is it too much um, so the the task force made a number of recommendations um, you know a big one would be a five ship limit on any given day um, you know, I think uh, we've been working really hard with the scheduling of ships um, and with uh, trying to get cruise ship companies to do things uh, in a better way so there's less tension with the community. Um, tourism is a big deal. Uh, we hired uh, Alex Pierce, our tourism manager. Um, she's writing her on, on all kinds of things. Uh, and then, of course, we have the proposal for the dock at the subport, which is all related. And and in the recent survey by McKinley Research regarding tourism in Juneau, it, like you had mentioned, it appeared the answers coalesced around supporting the city, limiting large cruise ships to five, and then respondents saying it should be a high priority. Explain the process for us on how the city could go about that. Yeah, so, the, the, so when I read the survey, I mean, the two things that jump out at me at the most is the majority of people in Juneau feel like uh, the visitor industry is uh, beneficial or more good than harm. And the majority of people in Juneau feel like the city should, should do more to manage the industry to mitigate the impacts. So it's, it's, it's like, okay, um, I think that's a clear message. Um, you know, the cruise ship industry is made up of a whole bunch of separate companies and sometimes they act individually and sometimes they act collectively through their uh, uh, trade organization, CLIA. And there's always this tension of, you know, individually or collectively. So when you talk about limiting on any given day, you know, broadly, they understand that that makes sense. But if somebody's not bringing a ship on that day, then it impacts one specific com company. Um, so it's, it's, it's a really challenging uh, issue to work through. 
Um, and, and also what we do in our port and what other ports do is all interrelated because ships don't leave Seattle or Vancouver and just come to Juneau. They go, you know, an itinerary through Southeast. Uh, so co- complicated situation for sure. Uh, would it just be, would it, would it be that the, because you were talking about individually, right? Yeah. yeah. They're all individual. So which of the five, which company would have one of those five slots in a day, right? Like, it depends, yeah. right? Depends. And so, so you, you get it, you get into this discussion of, you know, maybe, maybe some companies are happy with the capacity that they have and some, some companies want to grow, right? So, you know, is there room for growth at the expense of a, a longtime visitor or should the longtime visitor get priority? You know, little complicated uh, questions like that. Why couldn't we just say one and a half million passengers and that's it? Right. So one. So so you know, because you would probably hit one and a half million passengers sometime in August, and then what would you do? Um, I think uh, Bar Harbor, Maine, did something recently where they they passed a piece of legislation that said, you know, no more than a certain number of people per day. And you know, well, what are you going to do? You're going to the one person that comes over the, you know, the number, you're going to find that person when they get off the lightering vessel. It's, 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 we've decided that the best way to manage tourism is through negotiation. And we're doing that. So we're, we're trying to get the cruise ship companies and the owners of the private docks to agree to uh, no more than five ships. And then we'll, we'll be definitely talking about the capacity issue over the summer. Uh, So, try and achieve goals through negotiation. And then there's also the idea of achieving limits through infrastructure, uh, which gets you to the uh, proposed dock at the subport. Uh, five ship limit, it doesn't necessarily mean five cruise ships um, or five cruise ship docks. Could, under the right circumstances, uh, but you know, five cruise ship docks could actually mean a growth if there's still a ship at anchor or if ships are still hot or things. So there's a lot of, lot of discussions and negotiations going on on how to uh, effectively implement um, uh, upper cap on uh, peak days in the summer. We're coming to the end of the program here, Rory. When you look back on this year, next year, what would you say were the highlights? On on this upcoming twenty three, no, when we enter twenty twenty three, what are your highlights for twenty twenty two? Oh, when you have, oh, right, okay, yeah, it is just a couple of weeks out here. It's two weeks, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've wrangled another, you know, another complicated, difficult budget process. We've engaged the public, um, you know, lots of people from the mayor and the assembly and myself and. All of our staff, you know, we've, we've labored issues and we tried to be responsive to the public. And, you know, it's a never ending task to uh, run a community and provide services and adapt to the world. And, you know, I'm proud of what we do. We're, we're not perfect, but, uh, you know, we just keep going at it. And every day we get up and we're like, all right, what are the community's issues? And what are people wanting to do? And what are they upset about? And how do we solve it? And I think people should be proud of their local government. I think we're very uh, highly functional, highly performing. Um, and we're, we're always working hard to identify the best interests of the community and figure out what we can do to get there. 
I would ask if you have anything to add, but that's the program. So thank you for being here this morning. Thanks a lot, Kevin. And uh, happy holidays. Happy holidays. And happy holidays to you, too. We'll see each other for one more time. We've got the Juno School District on on Monday. So be sure to tune into that. This is Kevin Allen, Fraction Line, signing off.